0: Inspire. Educate. Connect. This is Yoga Digest,
1: a vibrant community of passionate changemakers.
2: Hi, my name is Kim Bauman, and I'm the founder of One Love Movement, a nonprofit dedicated to advancing social justice. I am so excited to bring you One Love Heroes, a podcast about ordinary people with true stories of humanity, love, and courage. Some from people you already know and others from people you'll want to know. Come along with us as we set out to discover stories that will touch your heart. Thank you so much for listening. Well, thank you so much for showing up, you guys. Thank you. um, One of the things that I was so incredibly excited about with you is that you're an adoptee also. And I didn't know that about you until we actually got on the phone and had a conversation. And my whole organization, Wendell's Movement, is built off of me being an abandoned homeless kid. And so our mission is to help all you know as many abandoned homeless kids as we can out in the world and so I so when I found that out it made it like heightened my awareness of what you're up to and what you're doing because I love how you talked about um you talked about feeling like you're an outsider your whole life you talked about um always being the one with the darker skin in the family and that's me too and so I wanted to ask you, how. Um, what was that like for you and how did you navigate, oh my gosh, that, he's just smiling so <laughs> big at me, he had the biggest smile on his face. How do you navigate, uh, how did you navigate that when you were younger and what was that like um, being adopted into your family?
1: Well, I was adopted when I was about nine months old. And um, so it's been, Amazing to be watching Taj be a little baby and be nurtured by Sarah like every day It's really actually really emotional for me um, to see um, Especially when she's breastfeeding him because I wasn't breastfed as a baby and um, I grew up in this very mixed family. My biological mother is Irish German and Belgian My biological father is African American and not away Indian from the mountains of Virginia and I was adopted by the Fronti family who are second generation immigrants from Finland. And their family came to America seeking a better life just like so many families have for generations and still do today. And uh, one Sunday, Mrs. Fronti went to church and she heard that there's 149,000 children in America in need of permanent homes through adoption. So she went back to Mr. Fronti, and, and they were college students at the time. And she said, Charlie, um, I know we've already got three kids and we're living in married student housing, Wow! but I think we should adopt another one.
0: (laughs) And and that was me. They got me. They adopted me.
1: And I was, God, I was telling the, the story last night, and I said, it, I, when I say it back out loud, it sounds like my mom was one of those people who collects too many cats. You know, it's just like, <laughs> Charlie, there's this kitten, and we, you know, he's got... <laughs> but um, then they also adopted another African-American son. I grew up in this very mixed melting pot of a house, and my, my, I have one sister who's lesbian. I have a brother who's a police officer, just to round everything out. And, um... um uh, we were all kids who were just very different, you know, and um, I guess one of the things that it's taught me is that um, like you, you're not necessarily just who you were born, how, how you were born or where you were born. You're, you're made up of, of, you know, literally millions of ancestral genes that are passed on to you. Um, and... And then you're also a part of your environment and the way that you grow up. And then you're also part of your decisions that you make for yourself. And, um, and I, was, I saw this thing, I was, I've, I've been curious about, sorry, got me one of these DNA tests to find out like where you're from. You ah. know? So I did a little research and I saw this, this, this uh, expose really about those DNA tests. And they said that um, after eight generations because each time you have a generation, there's there's like two grandparents and then they, it becomes four and then it becomes eight. So it's factorial. So each time, so by eight generations, we each have like 260 grandparents. And by 20 generations, we each have 1,200,000 grandparents. And so I was thinking like, well, Gosh, what does it even matter at that point? Like we're all really like brother and sister, and gen, you, know, genetically connected in, in a very short span of time. Um, but one of the things that uh, was always a, a sense of longing for me is like, I just always wondered, like, especially when my mom and dad were pissed off at me, and be like, "There's a good mom somewhere, and she's out there." <laughs> she loves me. And she doesn't care if I clean up my room or not. you know. And um, and that sense really has affected my life because when I was 22, I, I found my birth parents. And um, it's been really hard for me to get to know both of them, you know. And I was telling Sara uh, the other day, I said, you know, I feel like in some ways I don't really totally like I really appreciate my birth mom for what she gave me but it's been very I still feel really hurt that she gave me up and um, so I appreciate the life but I don't feel totally like connected to her you know and it's something that as an adult I really had to work with and grieve and let go of and try to try to bridge that gap Um, but it affects affects me to this day
2: how did you find your birth parents?
1: uh,
0: (laughs) Oh, come here, buddy.
1: (laughs) Um, So I I saw an Oprah Winfrey special on her
0: findings.
1: (laughs) And I was really moved by it. And at the time, I was about to have my first son. And I was a really young dad. I was 20 years old when we conceived him. And and so I thought, man, I really want my kids to know their grandparents. And so... um, on this Oprah show, they talked about this organization called ALMA, which is the Adoptees Liberty Movement Association, which is kind of like a 12-step, almost like AA-style, like support group for people who are trying to find people that they've um, lost. You know, either they're trying to find their kids, or they're trying to find their parents, or a lost brother or sister, or uncle, or whatever. And so, um, at that time, uh, I went to the county. Um, offices in in Alameda County in Oakland and I was looking through microfiche files and I found a number on my birth certificate that matched the number on the day that I was born and it said there was this baby who was born to um uh Mrs. Lofi and Mr. Roderick who was her husband who became her husband or actually Mr. Hopkins and then I, I tried to find them being married and she never married him and so Uh, And I found that she did get married later. I went through the marriage records, which is a whole nother thing. And then when I found who she was married to, I went through state property tax records and found that they owned some property and they were paying tax on it. And the tax bill was being sent to somewhere in Massachusetts. And I figured that was their home address. And so I called information and I got their phone number and then I made a script (laughs) to, to, <laughs> because I yeah. was gonna call her and so I made this script because I was worried that if I said, Hey, I think I might be your kid, she got <laughs> click like <laughs> and then I would never wanna call back and then she'd probably be on the other end of the line wanting, you know, wondering if I'd ever call yeah. back, and I probably never would. So I wrote it the script that said, Hey, I have something really important to tell you, and I want you to write my phone number down first. <laughs> <laughs> thinking like she might think it's like I a radio show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, yeah. You're about to win a new car, you know. And then I said, um, uh, I, I was born on April 21st, 1966, and I was wondering if that day means anything to you. And there was this long pause, and then she said, Yeah. And I said, well, I think I might be your son. And she was, there was an even longer pause, you know. And then, um, and then we talked. And, yeah. And then she introduced me to my, to my dad, um, who she had kept in touch with over the years. Wow. Yeah.
2: yeah. Holy moly. Did you yeah. ask them why they decided to give you a-
1: So my mom was, so her, she was really in love with my dad, but they had only been they had only sort of had a long distance relationship and she, her parents were very racist and she felt like they would never accept me. And so she gave me up for adoption and my dad really wasn't in the picture at all. So he never, there was never any question that he would take me in. Unfortunately,
2: does her family Um,
1: know about um, her? Both her parents are passed away now, but yeah. And her family knows about me. They like me
2: um I feel like for myself i don't I feel like I can speak on behalf of a lot of you uh just from because we're all human, but I oftentimes feel alone or I feel like an outsider or I feel like I don't fit into things yeah. and I was also bullied as a kid for being like a white person or a, for, for being an Asian growing up in, um, in Wyoming and South Dakota mm. and so I wanted to ask you um, what, was, what was that like for you? Did you experience uh, that as well? well
1: what about like you? That? Why don't you answer that one first? <laughs> <laughs>
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, I could speak to that for sure. I mean, I'm first generation Canadian. My parents were refugees in Canada. Um, They came to Canada in 1982. And um, being Iranian and having parents who are still tied to their culture in Iran, and, and, you know, they want to try to offer your kids the best of both worlds, and you're caught in the middle because you're not allowed to wear spaghetti strap tank tops because that's a bad thing. And that's like the biggest thing when you're nine years old, you know? Um, or even like the food you take to school or um, the way that you're, you know, the expectation of your relationship with your parents. And so that was always hard. And then um, also the, the expectation, the cultural standards that your parents hold for you. I grew up in a family where it was like, if you got 90%, they're like, great job, but where's the other 10% kind of thing. Um, so definitely, and and of course, like you know, the world's a much different place. We're ve- we're much more globalized now than we were ten years ago or fifteen years ago. So I was even when I went to nursing school in Saskatoon. I remember looking around, and I was only a dark-haired girl even twenty years ago, fifteen years ago. So um, it always, I think, for me, it it really. There was points where I hated it, and then there were other points where it really motivated me to speak about my, my culture and got me excited about it. And now I'm really proud of the history that I have and the journey and the hardships that my parents had to go through. Um,
2: Did you ever have a moment when you were younger where you didn't want to be Iranian? And you wanted to be like yeah, more like all of your friends?
3: definitely, for sure. I mean, even like the really basic things, like we didn't celebrate Christmas. And it was, like, the worst thing on Christmas Day that, like, your, all your friends were, like, calling and telling you about all your presents that you got. And you are like, man, I wish I would just get a Christmas tree. And my parents, you know, were born here and they didn't think it would be such a big deal for me to watch Roseanne, you know? <laughs> 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 um, for sure. But I think the thing is, is that my parents really instilled the importance of they wanted me to be proud of my uniqueness. And so I did have those moments for sure, but our family was so tight. I had no relatives. We we were raised Baha'i and Baha'is were persecuted in Iran. So I had no family in Canada. I didn't grow up with grandparents or aunts and uncles. Our family literally was the friends in our community. And so we really stuck together, and I think that's what, that's what kept me proud because I knew it was just us against the world. And so I absolutely had those moments where I was like, I wish I could just be like everyone else. But what I, when I think back, I think what got me through was I should be proud of what makes me different and let me teach, let me show people what else is out there and where I come from. So um, I don't think there's really any right or wrong. I think yeah. it's definitely made me who I am yeah. for sure yeah. today. But I know that we, we, we definitely have bonded over that, just being, like, the different one, the odd person out, and trying to teach
2: and educate. It's good to be the odd person out. <laughs> so, Sarah, I, I, love, uh, I love everything that you write on your Instagram shares. I don't know if you guys follow her, but you should. It's really inspiring because she talks openly about pregnancy, about having Taj, about postpartum. Um, syndrome. And so I wanted to ask you, um, there's actually a lot of moms here and moms to be as well. And I wanted to ask you um, what, like, what, what have been ways that you've celebrated being a mom and what are ways that you actually get through all of the gunk?
3: Um, I definitely, I feel like Taj is still, he's only three and a half months old. He looks like he's a lot older. Um, so I think I'm still in the period. Like when someone goes, don't you just love being a mom? I'm, I'm always like, uh, (laughs) I'm like, should I tell them what they want to hear or should I? And so a lot of times I just stay quiet. Like I don't say anything. Um, I I feel like I have changed. Like, you know, I put out this postpartum blog saying, you know, I now have a new identity. I'm mourning who I was because now I'm someone different. And there are some people saying like, well, you're not different. You just have a baby now. And it's like, well, I, as an individual, I am different because my reality is now very different. Michael's reality has definitely shifted. He had children before, but like I have to be a completely different person. I cannot get up and go anymore. What was important? three and a half months ago is no longer important now or cannot be a priority because he now is my priority. He has to be. And that's the commitment that I made to having a child. Um, so I look at him and I think it's amazing to see him reach his milestones. I think those are the things that I celebrate. I mean, today I was like, who made your face? Mommy made your face. I was like, <laughs> I'm like I made you. And and Michael's been so encouraging because he's like, you created this thing. Like your breast milk is growing him, you know? Um, That's insane, huh? Like, it's pretty, it's it's that pretty like surreal. Yeah. But, um, we were talking
1: about it <laughs> at Halloween because everybody was wanting to dress up as a superhero, and I was like, well, you know, Wolverine, he's got these, like, titanium talons that can slash people, and he can heal himself and all this stuff, and, and then Sarah was like, fuck that. <laughs> I can pop a human being out of my vagina. <laughs> And then I can feed him and like he's going to grow to be this yeah. tall and like <laughs> yeah
3: and So yeah, you know, and, and the thing, my experience and what you said is exactly true. So, you know, when I was pregnant, I was able to relate to someone who was pregnant so much more. I'd be like, how are you feeling? No, really? Like, how are you feeling? Like screw the cute clothes? Like how's the nausea, you know? And so now I understand going through that process. How can I support that person? It's just not like, oh my God, you're gonna have a baby. It's so amazing. It is amazing, but there's a lot of stuff that comes with it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's great to have this community who can empathize with you because I don't think people really understand. And, and as a woman who, you know, I grew up in this family that I was a go-getter. Like we were, I'm an overachiever. I'm super anal. I'm A-type. I was an ER nurse for eight years. Um... And so I popped out this kid, and I was like, "I can walk, I can do this, I can do that. I'm going yeah. to start working. I took meetings two weeks in, which I now regret, like I wish I didn't. I wish I did take that time for myself, and I felt like everyone expected me to be resilient and just right. go. And sometimes I get these comments on my social media saying, "Motherhood looks so good on you, and it sometimes makes me cringe because I think like I'm just doing what I can, what I have to do You're what I like, back. Yeah, yeah. We'll do the day. Um, yeah. So I, it's funny because it's it's a sensitive topic because I'm still in the thick of it. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I think the biggest learning is that it's hard, and that's it. You know, and you have to show up differently. And I have to figure out who I want to be now with it. Um, so I'm happy I put out the blog. I love the response that it got. I think you know it it opened me up to a lot of things. And there's a lot of people out there who are really talking about the great great details and the gory details but the community that comes from it is is really really beautiful and I tell people they say should I share the blog with my friends and I'm like it won't scare you from having a child it'll just open you up to the thing outside of the baby shower and all the prettiness and all the cute clothes that you never put your kid in anyways so
2: and I think that's so important because even like if you take away the fact that you had a baby but in general social media and in general our lives like we're always People are always trying to paint like, we're only showing the good stuff, or we're showing the good photos, or we're showing the good selfies. And we usually don't post a picture of ourselves that we don't like of ourselves, right? And so I think it's so important just to be real about what you're really... Like, what is it really like? What are you really going through?
3: Yeah, totally. And it's really funny. My sister-in-law, she a few months ago, she goes, I really admire how you are on in your Insta stories because you don't really care what your hair looks like. And you just... And she's like, and you go on with no makeup. And I'm, it, really, it really inspires me. And I was like, is this one of those backhanded compliments? But, and I think that, yeah, and it's like, you know... I, I don't, you know, I, I do admire those people who will maybe go on their Instagram and maybe cry it out with people. That's not who I am, but I'll definitely talk about it in a very, like, systematic way, which is what my personality is in a very matter-of-fact way. But it is. I, I really believe in social media. I think that... Um, there's great community that comes out of it, and for me to be able to connect with so many people, speaking my truth has been really healing for me, for sure. Yeah, it's. Just, I just, I
2: love that. It's, it's so important too because I feel like it's easy to compare yourself to what other people are doing, or to think that you should be further along in your life, or to think that you should have, have you know, your album should have been here instead of here. Like it's easy to think those things to be in your own space, and so to keep it like normal for everybody else, I feel like it supports in general, like the growth of the community all together, like our own well-being. So yeah. So thanks for that.
3: <laughs> the next article I'm going to put out is when you just, th- when do you throw out the lemons? That's going to be my new year's post that I've been Ooh, like I cooking in my tool. head. Cause it's always, everyone's always <laughs> like, Oh, you got to make lemonade. Someone gives you lemons. And I'm like, screw the lemons. Like, when do you just be like screw it? And that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at right now after having a kid and going through this process and re my identity and like resetting my boundaries and it's like that's that's the forefront of of what's going on with me and so I feel like I'm attracting a lot of that too which is which is cool how do people find your blog so you can either follow me on my socials which is Sara Agafronti on Facebook or Instagram or I'm just getting my Twitter going and then my website Sara where I post all that stuff and And it's S-A-R-A-G-A-H franti yeah, an F-R-A-T-I. And F-R-A-T-I. yeah and it's it's like like too we do recipes I do you know we do that kind of fun green stuff smoothies. too. green yeah. smoothies and, <laughs> but we get, we get real we get real
2: <laughs> so I wanted to ask you um what what were you doing when your water broke and you're like oh shit Taj is coming like yeah. what what was your day like so
3: I didn't have a birth story I mean a birth plan I didn't have a birth plan my, my only birth plan was like if I want an epidural at the time, I'll get an epidural. My background's healthcare. I'm very comfortable in a hospital setting. Um, and so I went into, the Taj's due date was September 4th and we were now September 9th. I'd gone to a comedy show the night before and I was wearing high heels because I was so over it. I'm like, I'm gonna get to do my hair and put makeup on and get dressed up. The next morning we work out And then we were just like hanging out and like the contractions kind of started and I was like, I should get my nails done because I did get a birth photographer and I was like, I want my nails to be done because you see all these photos on Instagram of people with their hair done and their nails. And I'm like, I'll get my nails done and he probably won't show up till tomorrow night. So it'll be fine. So I go and I, like, take a shower and the contractions get stronger. I come down and I'm kind of like, ooh, and Michael's like, are you sure you want to go to the nail salon? I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. They always say it takes forever. And so I'm in the nail salon. I'm, like, having contractions and the women are like, um, do you think you should be going to the hospital? I'm like, no, it's totally fine. And so I start timing it and then Michael comes and picks me up and they're, like, maybe 15 minutes apart and... So we go well, I home. I want to give you
1: a little backstory. Just throughout her pregnancy, <laughs> she was really sick, like morning, noon, and night sickness. And <laughs> oh, so, like, no. like, we'd be walking down the street, and she'd go, oh, baby, oh, I feel like more. <laughs> i go, are you okay, honey? she goes, yeah, come on, fuck, let's go. We got shit to do. Come on, let's go. That's so true So that's kind of like her it's personality like to begin yeah. with. So she's in the nail salon, and they're like, she's like holding on to the thing, like, they're grinding on her nails and she they're like, are you okay? And She's like, yeah, I'm fine, too, right? I'm fine, let's yeah. do this. Yeah,
3: it was like, I was cool, I was cool. So we go home, we make some Beyond Burgers, Beyond Meat Burgers, we do the dishes, put the garbage out, and we put on some Netflix, and I remember we were like watching this series, and, and then it's like five minutes apart, and I remember with, the, with like the one birthing class I took was like, when they're five minutes apart, lasting a minute, call the hospital. So I called the hospital, and the nurse was like, oh, well, it's your first baby. Just, like, get in the tub and labor at home. It's going to be a while. Like, don't bother coming in, because we will probably just send you home. So I was like, okay, so, okay, this is the best part, now that I remember it. This is sorry. <laughs> so we're watching this series, and it's the last episode of this. Season. And it's, like, the last seven minutes or something. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, okay, hey, got to get in the tub. And Michael's like, babe, don't you just want to finish this episode? And, I and that. I remember like walking up the stairs, and I was like, Michael, I feel like it's time to focus on this right now. You're like, it's only two more minutes. I'm not on the show. I'm like, you can finish this show. And I remember like filling the tub, and he's like finishing the <laughs> show. <laughs> oh my god, I love that. that's this is me. like that's like our relationship. But the beautiful part. So Michael comes in, he lights a candle, he's feeding me gummy bears oh, I love in the that. tub. And I, and I kept laboring and all of a sudden, I'm sure people can like, attest to this, it went from like three minutes apart to like it didn't stop, my water broke in the tub, and Michael was like, turns on the light, he's like, there's debris in the tub, we have to go now. <laughs> and you could see the panic and he's very calm. Like when we're the one getting like late for a flight, he's the calm one playing words with friends on his phone and I'm the <laughs> one sweating. <laughs> And this time, Michael was, like, so calm. And, I mean, no, you were the nervous one. I was the calm one. And he was like, okay, okay, what do you need? Water bottle, clothes, da, da, da. and And I was, like, really using my voice. He was great. He's like, use your voice. And I'm like, it's not stopping. And he's like, Sarah, just, it's a wave. Visualize the wave. I'm like, but the wave isn't stopping. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> so, anyway, it turns out I was seven and a half centimeters oh. at home. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, they had to wheel me. And I was like, I can't walk. I need a wheelchair. But. Uh, I, I did get an epidural, and it was the right decision for me. And Taj was born six hours later, and he did great. He was amazing. nine pounds thirteen ounces, and wow. woo, we had a great experience. Oh it was it was perfect for us. So it was perfect for us. I
2: love that you wanted to finish the episode. That's like, yeah. I don't even That's remember what was. <laughs> all right. So did you guys all know that they have a documentary out called Stay Human, which yes. is really amazing? Um, are you going to be touring in San Diego or?
1: no Close. but it, but it's coming out on itunes on january
2: 25th so okay cool january 25th watch it then, yeah. um so i love Stay human because i i feel that it's like your expression of globally um inspiring people to participate mm-hmm. in yeah. the world yeah. and so i wanted to um i wanted you to be able to have the opportunity to share like why did you create this uh, movement of say human and what does it mean to you
1: well, in 2000, I made a record called Stay Human and it was all it was an um, album that was a narrative. The whole record was like a play and it was about a death penalty case, a fictitious death penalty case. And and um, and and I thought, like, you know, how is it that we as human beings can rationalize killing another person because they killed somebody else? And so we're, you know, and so the, the whole record is about, like, how do we question that? How do we get our heads around that? And and. Um, and so some time passed, and then in the last couple of years, I've seen just the division in our country, how much hate there is out there, both online and in, in the real sphere. And, and I thought like, it's really important for us to be able to find ways to, or at least talk about how do we hold on to our, that which makes us human in these crazy times that we're living in. And, and so the premise kind of, of the documentary is that like, I wake up every day and I reach for my phone... And I don't want to read it. Like I don't want to read the news because I feel like okay, it's like school shooting, hurricane, some crazy shit Trump said, uh, <laughs> you know, um, you know, and, and all these things. Like every day, I'm bombarded by, it and it gets me down. I feel depressed. I'm somebody who has, throughout my adult life, I've battled depression and anxiety, and so I uh, get out in the world and I meet people you know and when I meet people who are ordinary people who are telling me their story or doing something to make a difference in someone else's life it reminds me of how important that is to hold on to our humanity and and the the, I guess the main lesson that I learned from making the film is that like we are what we search for um when you become what you search for it's like if you search for Negativity and darkness and fear and racism and hatred like you'll find it for sure it's no problem and you end up becoming that you become so absorbed and if you search for light if you search for love if you search for friendship if you search for family if you search for positivity you start to become that also (laughs) you start to see it everywhere and it becomes who you are and and that uh, the other thing is you know when we talk about like what unites us and the one thing that I found um, apart from you know just our physical form is that none of us are born perfect all of us are born with some um, form of you know imperfection that we feel inside of ourself you know and sometimes it's a physical form you know some you know somebody's born without their sight or something like that but um, we all feel this sense of imperfection and throughout our life, we're trying to find ways to either fill it up, patch it with putty and do this uh, and, and, um, rather than embrace it and allow it to be our authentic self. Like this is who I actually am. This is the person that, that I, that I am, you know? And, um, so part of being part of, for me, staying human is to be able to understand who I am, recognize my imperfections. And then to be able to embrace that in others, to be able to see somebody else and say, I see you for who you are. And it's okay. You're not, you're not, um, you're not bad and you're, or you're not special for, um, who you are. You're, 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 you're special just because you're here and it's enough just to be here, you know? And, um, and that's, uh, uh, really like uh, an important thing for you know this kid who was this adopted kid who grew up in this alcoholic family who throughout my life have had um, this a lot of hurt you know yeah. and, and uh, you know being able to learn to embrace that and, and then see it in other people and uh, I guess the, f- another, the final thing I learned is like there's nobody that you wouldn't love if you knew their story nobody you wouldn't love if you knew their story. Doesn't matter who they are. And that's why I have empathy. Like when I see, you know, what's happening at our border right now and I see families who are coming, you know, walking on foot or in, on trains or in the back of a pickup truck with hundreds of other people for hundreds of miles to come to this place that, that is a land of opportunity that they've dreamt, dreamt about escaping violence and escaping, um, escaping poverty. And I just think, like, man, if I could sit down with that person and talk to them, I would love them. And if I could share their story with other people, other people would love them, you know? And so that's what the film is about. It's about people who's who I really um, resonate with um, and me sharing their stories of what they've gone through and um, how they've overcome their their challenges. And how they still hold on to their sense of humor and their love and their light, even though their whole life might seem right. to be in chaos. They're able to do it. And if they can do it, then there's something within them that maybe I can learn from.
2: And it's amazing how when you start to, like, befriend all that in yourself, like your own, your own story, like you said, your, like how you're raised... Um, it's it's so much easier to then uh, extend that love and that understanding to other people if you first,
3: like, find that for yeah. yourself. Yeah, I think oftentimes too, because we're so much we're so on the go, we don't, we're not listening to other people's stories. And just hearing you speak about the film, which has been part of our life for the last five years. Uh, I just think, like, you know, we've been living that life. You've been living that life your whole life. I mean, you went to Iraq and created a, like, did a film on that, listening to their stories, and then... When Michael and I were friends we would sit on Skype after I did a night shift in the ER, he'd had a show and say, you know, how did you make someone feel significant? And oftentimes that was about hearing someone's story. So as a nurse I may have had a patient who was really cranky and mean and and I was and you know, I it was projected on, on me, but when you'd sit down and just listen, it was because maybe her husband passed away in the same hospital a year ago, you know, for something very similar or you know, something something else was going on in their life that that was causing those emotions. And, and I think that's something that we all need conscious practice to do because it's very easy to fall into our own world and our to-do list and what we have going on every day. And
2: How are you not reactive? Because <coughs> that's my whole thing is I'm like so reactive if someone, like, takes, takes a verbal punch <coughs> at me, and it's hard for me then to hear their story or what they've got going on because I, I'm so um, fired up from them. How have you... Like, what are the,
3: what's the magic behind that? We probably have different answers. (laughs) I mean, for me, obviously, to be very, like, to be human, obviously, you're going to get triggered, for sure. But I think a lot of times what I do to to just, like, to do the actual break is, like, it's not me, it's them. It's they're projecting whatever they're going through on me. And then I decide very literally, like I have to be very realistic. I have to decide, okay, am I going to open myself up to find out what are they going through? Can I be that support? In in nursing, it's always like, do you want to open up that can of worms? Like, you don't want to get into something unless you can really be there for that person. But just knowing that it's not, it's never really about you. And right. even when I feel, even when or someone's yes. triggering me and I want to be, like, if I'm, if I'm mean to someone, which is real, you know, we've all had that and I really think about it, I'm like, it has nothing to do with them. It's like what I'm going through and what I might be insecure about or not happy about in in my life, so. Oh, I love that you said that.
2: Yes, so true. So true, right, you guys?
3: (laughs) I love that you said that.
2: Um, so then, I uh, I wanted to ask you about going back to the Stay Human documentary. Uh, so you had posted several times a mom and her little girl, and these posts were really touching to me because he was like trying to find this uh, mom and daughter because he wanted to share their story on the documentary. So I don't think you found them, right? I
1: did find them. You did? Oh, you yeah. did. Yeah.
2: Oh, okay. I just yeah. wanted to hear the story. Wait, so are they in the documentary?
1: <clears throat> yeah. So well, there okay. was a there was a couple who. Are, before every show that I do I always spend time like walking around and saying hi to people in the parking lot or in the lobby of the venue or whatever and there was this couple that were out there and they had a child that was a foster baby that they were trying to adopt and um, she was concerned she was like you know we're trying this court so we've got this other hearing and this thing coming up and this and like and I said and then the baby who was like four perhaps three or four turns and says mommy and I said to the mom I go you've already won this battle she's I call- cry every time <laughs> I see that. <laughs> she's scene. calling you mom that's yeah. a mic drop right there you know yeah, yeah. Um, and so yeah I wanted to find out if, if they had in fact adopted this kid and they did
3: <gasps> yeah. they did yeah. Yeah. oh my god I love that
2: yeah, yeah. oh that's so endearing wow yeah <laughs> I can't wait to see the documentary. So. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: yeah. a really, it's a really beautiful film. I mean, um, something that I really, as I was showing these other people in the world, and and you know, saying like this person really um, has affected my life, I also showed how it's affected my life. So the film is also partially autobiographical, and I talk about the way I was raised and. Um, one of the things is, uh, uh, that I go into is, is my father, my relationship with my adoptive father. He, he was an alcoholic for most of my life. I ran away when I was seventeen, and I was a senior in high school, I just had a couple more months to go in school, and, and then um, like when I came back to the house, I, I asked him if he would stop drinking. We had a big, we had an intervention, basically, and um, and he did. But then I moved out of the house, and I never really knew him as a sober person. And I just kind of like I left the house. I moved to San Francisco, I joined a punk rock band, I was like fuck it. <laughs> and so um and then when he was 66 years old, he had a stroke. And when he had a stroke, it was like being sick actually kind of made him well. And he blossomed into wow. this really beautiful person and he stopped drinking and he really took an inventory of his life and he made amends to everyone in his life who he had ever hurt, including my mom, me, and my mom especially, who is who he was very abusive to. And, um, and uh, he really showed me that it's possible for people to change. And on the only time I ever went to have a meal with him, we had five kids, so it was like mom and dad time. wasn't We was never really like one on one time. So the only ever time I ever went and had a meal with him one on one was when he was, just, just before he passed away, he was 70 years old. And and I said, Dad, you know, it's amazing how much you've changed, you know, and it really has moved me, you know, how much you've grown. And he said, you know, I haven't changed. And it was, for me, it was like the trombone of disappointment, like, <laughs> like, like he's about to drop some bullshit on me right here. You know, he goes, I haven't changed, but what I mean, he goes, what I mean by that is, he goes, I've always, felt this like this love you feel from me now I've always felt that for you but during all those years before I could just never express it I could never show it I didn't know how to show it and and now I do you know and and it really um, made me believe that it's possible for people to evolve and people to grow and You know, one of the reasons that I've been so drawn to yoga is because, you know, you walk into a room like this and it's like we're in a strip mall and everybody's rushing from work and then they come in here. But people come in here and they go to their growing edge and, you know, you're in some hip opener. And I remember when I I had a yoga teacher, Eddie Modestini, who came out on the road with me when this really early in my practice and he would teach me on tour, and he was on our tour bus, and we stopped in this hotel, and we were in this like conference room <laughs> doing yoga. And he goes, I want you to get into um So like this, you know. And at this time, like, I could not sit anywhere close to this. I was like this, and my back was hunched, and I was in pain. And Eddie goes, um, the pose begins when you want to get out of it. And I was like, all right. It's on. <laughs> I don't
0: want to get
1: out. I'm, I'm sick of this already. And he goes, he goes, what's going on for you? And I, I close my He goes, just close your eyes and just like, tell me what's going on for you. And I go, I go, I can't do this, Eddie. I just can't. I can't do this pose. And he goes, well, tell me what you're hearing. I said, I, I hear my dad. You know, my dad's yelling at me. And he's telling me, you can't hit a baseball. Um, you got a bad grade in math. Came home late, like I'm hearing all these things that, like, I can't do this. And, and Eddie says, just verbalize it, like, speak it out loud. So I did. I started to say those things and I started to weep and I started to cry really hard. And, and then I just felt this, like, whoosh, you know. And I looked down and my knees had moved a quarter of an inch. <laughs> 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 and Eddie goes, "This is this is your work. Like this is your yoga. Is like to go to that place every time that you're on your mat. Like find your growing edge. What is it that's in your life that's blocking you right now? And then just take that extra breath with it, you know, and see how long you can be with that feeling, you know. And so when you're, you know, when you were asking Sara about that, like how do you hold space when people are, um." And, and I feel like i 'm 'm not really not that good at it, to be honest, but um, I'm, I do try to have that empathy for other people yeah. and and try to just go you know they 're going through that same whatever it is for them that led me to be um, not be able to go into a Konasana at that moment, like what is it in the, that 's their life that 's happening for them and I try to hold space for that and hear it in their story. Tell me about you, what's going on with you? How's your day been? What's your life like, you know? And just being inquisitive, yeah. you know? Yeah.
2: Wow. And you also have a Stay Human album Yeah. Mm-hmm. number two. Yeah. It comes it, out in January, right? Yeah, so it's
1: okay. Stay Human volume two. It also comes out on January 25th. And it's it's, it's songs that are inspired by the film. So. Um, throughout the process of making the film, I was writing music for it, and these those are, not all the songs are in the film, but they're all songs that are inspired from my experiences, and so it's really a whole uh, the whole record is like how do we hold on to our humanity in this crazy ass time that we're living in right now? It's hard, you know, and how do we embrace who we are? How do we accept our weaknesses and our failures along with understanding how incredibly beautifully beautiful we are and how powerful we are and how good we can be and like how do we embrace all of those things and then how do we show up every day the best we can um as as people for the people that we love and care about the most
3: and it's just a fun album to listen to. It's a fun to. album. It's a great
1: dancing. I have yeah. not gotten
3: sick of any of the songs, which is a really good sign. Does
2: that normally
3: happen? Uh, I mean, it, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I mean, I like to get real. That's what I said. And there having to come where I'm like, babe, actually, we were playing his music when I was in labor, and I was like, I don't want to hear your song. that song right now.
0: Change
1: the
3: song. Um, but it's, it's a really good and, and so she
1: ended up having the baby too <laughs> I got 99 problems but a bitch ain't one.
3: that's not true I was, I was that pushing. is true no, it was like, your I I was pushing to Jay-Z he was born to Michael Franz okay. Okay. <laughs> but the doctors walked in and they were like what the hell is going on <laughs> <laughs> Um, But just to speak, I mean, I just want to just talk about Michael and how hard he's, how much love he's put into the film. Uh, It's been five years in the making and the album. And, you know, it's his commitment to his work is really incredible. And he makes a lot of sacrifices in his life. And we sacrifice sometimes time with our family or he never, he does not know how to relax. Unless we're watching Netflix, which is rare, <laughs> uh, and so I just wanted to just say that it's been really beautiful to see you create this film that has been inspiring so many people. And he he did a film tour this fall, and it really moved me to see the people how they showed up and how it's changed them already. You know how much work this film has done in the world. So oh, just wanted to share you. that.
2: You're welcome. Well, I love that too because it like from a consumer's point of view, it seems like oh. Here he is with more music. Like, it just seems like it kind of just comes to you and it appears out Mm. of thin air. But we know it's not like that. Was there a point when you knew that you were making it? Like, making it?
1: Mm. I mean, I still feel like I have a long... I mean, I never felt... I I never, like, set a goal like, oh, we want to sell two million singles, or we want to do this. Um, But... You know, when you, as, you, as, as you evolve as an artist, you start to feel like what is inside you and what you're feeling, you can create something that is an example of that. And, um, you know, I, I talked to this um, Jamaican sculptor one time, and, and he said, Michael, you don't really become, like, great or really good at what you're doing as an artist until you're 44.
0: <laughs>
1: and I was like... Okay, <laughs> <It> seems like, <laughs> a, like an anonymous yeah. number, you know, like, uh, it, it, but he goes, he goes, what I mean by that is like, you spend the first years of your life, like up to like 22, just like kind of like learning how to like walk basically. Mm-hmm. And then you spend 22 years trying to like sort of master your craft. And then when you get to 44, like you have like both of those things. Like if you say, I want to paint this emotion that I'm having of like, Frustration as I'm walking down the beach and thinking about my past and my childhood. Like, I can paint something that feels that, you know? And I feel like as an artist, like it's taken me time to be able to do that. And now as a filmmaker, too, it's like being able to really put emotion into work um, that moves people. And and I feel like my um, my superpower is... Uh, I love that superpower. I feel like my superpower is empathy like Uh that's my superpower like I can tell like if I write a song it and it moves me I feel like it's going to move other people and and that's what I'm constantly looking for whether it's in film or in music or in storytelling or doing a concert I'm trying to find those those ways that I can relate my experience to other people that moves them and makes them feel something Mm -hmm. and um, so that's that's Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I do as an artist is I, I, I try to find those moments for me that are the things that are the biggest struggle for me. Um, for example, in the film, there's a song, Nobody Cries Alone. Um, and we were filming at the time that I wrote the song and was recording it. And that morning I woke up and I found out two things. The first, that my mother had had a stroke and that my son who's 19 who has a rare form of kidney disease that he had dropped down to 20% kidney function that he's going to need a new kidney. Wow. And so I was in the studio and I'm like working with these two great producers and songwriters and they can see that something's wrong and and they go, "Mike, are you, are you all right?" you know, and I go, "No, I'm not all right." And they go, do you want to just call it for today and not be here? And I go, no, this, you know, I'd really, I really want to write about what's going on for me. And they, they said, well, what's going on? And I told them and I just started like crying and having this moment in the studio. And and then I I, I picked up the guitar and, and I told the story of, uh, I told them about how when, as my son's disease has developed, you know, there'd be times that we thought it was going to rip our family apart. But what ended up happening is my son's this huge kid he's six four two hundred and thirty pounds, and you know when we would really be really worried, he would be the one who'd be like "Dad it's going to be all right," and it'd be like an extra hug or an extra "I love you" or an extra kiss on the cheek and so um, we sort of developed this 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 thing in our house like a we, well you don 't have a lot of rules in the front of your house actually uh, it 's more like an agreement kind of. <laughs> <laughs> Negotiations. Um, got, <laughs> got,
3: got some
2: rules. Don't put the
1: toilet seat. Keep the. Don't put the toilet seat up in the middle of the night. One, um, uh, but um, we made this agreement, which is that nobody cries alone. Which means that nobody's allowed to just like sit and sulk. Somebody else has to be with them and like put a hand on them or put their arm around them or just sit with them and say, "Are you okay?" Until some point they say, "Yes, I'm good to be alone." And sometimes it is good to cry alone. But so I wrote this song, "Nobody Cries Alone." That's that's from that, and that's really how my songs get written. It's like I have something that's really burning and inside of me that I feel either super passionate or super sad or super joyful about and then I write about it and and that's how all my songs come
2: so one of my all-time favorite songs of yours is um is I'm alive uh-huh. and um and also uh life is better with you but I know the story behind that one is there a story <laughs> behind it's alive or any other
1: I'm alive is just yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm alive. um well the lyrics can, can I can I get my guitar actually well I'm alive, uh the lyrics say <laughs> yes.
0: Everybody wants me to be who they want me to be except for you. And all I wanna do is be with
2: Ooh.
0: you. That's all great. Yeah. What's going on? Here?
1: Are you in there? Ah, <laughs> oh, there. It's just a little bit sticky from last night. <laughs>
0: but the lyrics say, yeah. Everybody wants me to be Who they want me to be except you And all I want to do Is be with you They all tell me that there's something strange I don't want to be nobody new All I want to do is be with you Life sounds like I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive, I'm alive. Whoa, I'm alive So it's a
1: song about um wanting to be it's a song of longing really of wanting to be with somebody who accepts you for being you you know everybody wants me to be who they want me to be except for you and all I want to do is be with you (laughs) and then uh, I was I was telling Jay I said you know I want to make a song that sounds that sounds like being alive not just says being alive and so that's where the the, the kind of the bridge of the song. I thought that just sounded like a melody that was like really exuberant, but it was also melancholy, played over some sort of melancholy chords. And for me, that's what life is. It's like this balance between like exuberation and celebration and sometimes deep sadness. And, so that's what that song is. And people, um, there's a, there was a guy who told me that he, um, he was one of the first people, well, sorry, and I have a nonprofit called Do It For The Love. And we send people to concerts who are sick and dying and uh, vets and kids with special needs. And he said, uh, um, when he uh, first found out that he had lung cancer, and was given like a short time to live he was in his car and driving back and that song came on the radio and it became like his mantra so as he would go into chemo he would listen to that song i'm alive i'm alive i'm alive and um oh, wow. and they brought 18 family members to one of my shows and that was he's they all came and they said this is the first time we've all been together and like maybe forever when all of us have been in the same space to celebrate our Brother father, uncle, his life here and and um, and then he died a few months after that you know and so those are the kinds of things stories that I hear as a songwriter that um, they just inspire me they make me feel like you know what I'm doing has some good there's some right. there's something in it that is good it means something right. to somebody else and and that's what I hope for when I write a song is that it's me telling what's inside me and I hope that somebody else finds
2: comfort in it and think of all the stories that people haven't told you it's mm. like your reach
3: is so far yeah. the beautiful thing about music that we've learned more and more through do for the love is that michael wrote that song and it may have meant something to him and someone else can hear those same words and it means something else you know mm-hmm. but it's just so cool when you, either a room this small or a massive <laughs> arena or stadium and that one song comes on, and you may not know a single person in the room, but then everyone's singing the same words, and everyone becomes your best friend because you've connected. And it, it deep down inside, it's triggering. It's some feel you feel something different for it, but you're all the same, you know. And so.
2: by the way, you guys. So I think its it, it fifteen hundred to send one person
3: to? Yeah. So wish, wish costs through the organization about fifteen hundred dollars. Um, But what we have been just, so we're five years old, Do For Love is five years old now this year, and we've sent over 2,000 families to live concert experiences. Um, And so the more awareness we've been able to raise, the more artists and promoters and venues have signed on. So we've been able to um, get concert tickets donated, which has been really cool and has really helped our our mission. Um, But you can visit our website, doforlove.org, to hear the story of how we got started. Um, You can donate, you can nominate someone you know or nominate yourself. Um, and also volunteer with us. So, but the yeah. so the money from your tickets is going to go towards like sending. Do you for the love, sending yeah. someone. So thank to you guys,
2: granting someone's wish. So you guys are all wish makers. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, what is the? Um, I know I've heard it, but I just love it so much because it's uh, it's like I'm just so present in my life to how things are. So many things are by chance. Like they, they seem like they're by chance. So you might had you left it this time instead of that time, who knows if the outcome would have been different in your day, right? As far as the people that you cross paths with. And so I I love your story with how you guys met. Because it's crazy. It's so crazy. Is it crazy? I think yeah. it's crazy. It's pretty <laughs> it's <like> crazy. It's so <laughs> random. Do you guys know so, how uh, so I'd love for you to share how you guys met as a couple and how that came together. Well,
1: I was playing a the Regina Folk Festival in Canada. Regina, Canada, and um, uh, I was on stage and the power went out on the PA, and I took this drum out to the front of the stage because I was like, "I'm not going to let this like rainstorm stop me," you know? Like, power goes out, so I grab a drum off the drum set and I go to the front of the stage and I'm just beating it, and there's you know five or six thousand people and I'm playing drum, and, and I look out in the audience and it's raining and there's this. Woman, right here, and she's got <coughs> this poncho on. She's in the rain.
2: So were you in
3: the front? But I looked Sorry. happy. Yeah, yeah, she looked I look really happy sad right now. Yeah, she looked really happy. <laughs> and
1: she's got her peace sign up. <laughs> I mean, like a, I was look at me. I was a few rows <laughs> back. She was about six rows back to the left. In a muddy I remember field. in a muddy field. And after the show, <laughs> I always walk down off the stage, and I always talk to people. And um, you know, take pictures or hug people or whatever and, and so she came up and I gave her a hug and said, Hey, nice to meet you and then she was walking away and I was like and I reached out like my like long go-go gadget <laughs> go, arm, go, go, arm. arm and I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, Hey you wanna hang out? And she said
3: I rolled my eyes and I was like, Well I'm with my girlfriend, so it has to be me and my girlfriend. <laughs> so um we hung out, and it's kind of funny, because you're like... Wait, so
2: what did you say when you first met?
3: Like. Well, so I, I wasn't familiar with his music. My girlfriend was a, was a fan. She's a yogi up in Saskatoon. She teaches yoga, and she was like, we got to go see Michael Franti. So we YouTubed, and it was like Ganja Babe. And you know the video, and it's like all red, and he's like smoking a joint or something. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this seems cool. I'll go. I love live music. Um... So yeah, so that, so that was my first time hearing his music, but with the way that I was raised as a Baha'i, everything is based on unity and diversity and oneness of mankind, and just hearing Hello Bonjour, I was like, oh, this guy's totally like on my energy level with even just that one song I remember you were singing. That's when my peace sign went up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we hung out, and um, the next day, Michael- But I mean, when
2: you met, for him to like, gadget arm you, did you say something to him, or was it just like, hi,
3: Awesome. I mean, I think I, it's funny because you were like, I gave you a hug. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I just shook your hand. I like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was just like, great show. Thanks for coming to yeah. Regina. It's a smaller city. You know? I, you know, I said, I think it was like, this is my first time I saw you. And that was it. I like to keep things really professional. So. Uh, yeah. And that, so that was it. But when we hung out, um, it was funny. It was me and my three girlfriends and I thought we'd go backstage and there'd be a ton of people there and it was just us and the band and I got to meet Carl and Manas and they had just toured through Japan and my girlfriend was teaching English and so she was able to be like the cool wing woman and we're trying to be all cool and you know we weren't really familiar with the backstage vibes and but we ended up finding that we had a lot in common and uh, he flew to Europe the next day. It was very sweet. He. He, was going, he tried to convince me to stay so I lived in a city that was an hour and a half away and he was like just stay we'll hang out you can take a greyhound bus the next morning I was, <laughs> I was like who is this guy as if I would do that I'm
0: like, <laughs> I live on a
1: tour bus so that sounds glamorous to me <laughs> yeah.
3: but um, no he, he walked me to the car and he texted me as, we, as I drove away and he texted me from Calgary, Canada and then Amsterdam and I was finishing my nursing degree doing the night shifts on my practicum so the time Change was great, and he, you know, he texted really inspiring messages and got me through my practicum, and we ended up becoming great friends for three years. And um, we really only saw each other like four times, yeah. maybe. But we, that was when Skype. I had the globe camera on top of my laptop, and everything was orange. I was like oompa loompa kind of thing, but. Um, but yeah, we, we, we spent a lot of time just talking about our hopes and our dreams and what we were doing. And um, one time I couldn't find my passport. I was going to Haiti the next morning to do relief work. And I remember I called, you called me and you were like, Sara, I want you to give my number to someone else in case something happens to you um, in case it's like something happens to you. And I just want to be able to, I want to be informed. And so we're having this conversation and Then I'm like, Oh my God, I can't find my passport. And so I remember you talked me through my condo to find my passport, which was Aww. sitting in my scanner, which is what you know. But, uh, but yeah. And then I moved to California to travel nurse and the stars aligned. The timing was right. And, um, yeah, we, we were together for four years and we got married three years ago and, now we have a baby. So we only you were only friends for the first three years.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: We we're friends for three like, years. Skype and, friends. Yeah. 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 And, and then text, I just, and she came to a few shows, and yeah. Maybe three shows in four years. Something like yeah. That.
2: Isn't that crazy that yeah. she was just like in the crowd?
1: And then we yeah. dated <laughs> for yeah. Then we dated for like three and a half, four years. Now we've been married right. for maybe, years. Yeah. it's been ten years.
2: Yeah. I love that. Yeah, I love it. You are like, you were like not even a fangirl because you didn't even know who he was. <laughs> You're
3: like yeah, cow. it's my, you know when people are like, what's your biggest puppy? I'm like, my biggest puppy is when people call me a groupie. I'm like, because groupies follow the bus and I rode the bus.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so were you like not going to go to the concert? Did your girlfriend have to like...
3: No, no, no. I was a, I'm was a. a huge live music okay. thing, but I know in the questions you, you said something about visualization and i always knew that i would share my life with someone great and it didn't i didn't want to oh you know it wasn't a rock star it wasn't a musician it was it was someone who was inspiring and great and we did meet by chance but our connection and the way we fought for our relationship has been through a lot of hard work and um i think everyone comes into your life for a reason and they bring certain things and i think what has allowed us to keep our relationship as strong as it has isn't because we're perfect, because we're not. We're very different and we disagree. Oftentimes I'm very you know, aggressive and brash and Michael's very calm and tries to be more <laughs> empathetic and I'm very, I jump the gun on things. But we inspire each other to be better versions of ourselves and we bring different things out in each other and I think that's what makes our relationship solid. So. You know, we go through the same ups and downs. I get annoyed when his dirty underwear is on my clean clothes and he gets annoyed when my long hair is clogging up the shower. So, you know, but, um, but we have, we inspire each other. And I think that's what really supports our relationship. Yeah. So I'm giving you a high five, babe, <laughs> <laughs>
2: What, Sarah, what is next, um, not next for you, but inside of like getting your master's degree? So
3: I actually five got five. my master's. Woo! But it's funny, I haven't announced it on social media, so it's not real yet, I guess. Um, and I think because I'm a minimizer, like I don't celebrate my successes. We just had an amazing Rockers Ball event, fundraising for Do Love. I haven't talked about that. Um, so you'll be hearing about that. I'm planning on launching a podcast um, called The Things They Forgot To Tell You. And I'll be doing that with a girlfriend of mine, yeah. And um, we're talking about writing a book. And um, yeah, I'm just in this big process of figuring out like what do I wanna do for me that's gonna keep me close to Taj but make me, you know, keep me feeling fulfilled and my tank full and inspired and um, how do I support Michael and what he's doing as a wife? I think sometimes it's more like I get into this like business mode, and I forget to just be a partner and a wife and a listener. And so I'm going to be doing a lot of focusing on that. So, yeah, I love it. it's and exciting. You, you and Taj tour with Michael right? The- Not as often as he'd like, I think. But I did take Taj out at five years old. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, I want <laughs> them to be on the road all the time. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah.
1: Sure. But she has her own ambitions and the things yeah. that she does and the work with the nonprofit. She's, I mean, she works her ass off. She's, you know, so as much as I am doing stuff, she's doing stuff. And then, um, we also have a hotel in Bali, the, the soul shine yoga hotel. And so we do retreats together there where we, we lead, we lead and music and yoga right? retreats. Yeah. yeah. And there's two in February. One is a music and yoga retreat. And one's a music, yoga and fitness retreat, which is really fun. Cause, um, you know, we we I've been practicing yoga, and but I was also a basketball player in college. So I've always been involved in like some fitness stuff, but this is Balinese fitness, and so it's like they get like a piece of bamboo and a stack of coconuts, and it becomes a barbell. Ba- <laughs> you know, and so it's like jungle fitness, you know, and it's it's really fun. And but the best part about it is is like you bring like thirty to thirty four people from around the world together who don't know each other complete strangers and by the end of the week everyone is like the closest friends and you know people come there and they they shed whatever's going on in their life it's like this is the time that we all have all dedicated to to let go and have this you know emotional experiences that then help us to be our best when we leave and and for Sara and I leading those experiences we, we go through it too you know it becomes these moments for us where we yeah. letting go of things that are happening in our lives. And and so we love it. Um, uh, I, the whole idea behind the, the Soulshine Hotel was to create a place where people could could grow that and have those kinds of experiences and ha- eat incredible food. And Sar says we drink green juice in the morning and green juice with tequila at night, so. Everything is yeah. moderation.
3: <laughs> yeah. But uh, the space is beautiful. Michael co-created it about eight years ago. And um, it's just been amazing to see how it's grown and the people who come here. Soulshine is close to Ubud, if you're familiar with Bali, which is the cultural center of the island. And it's just, it's surrounded by rice fields. And so you feel like you're in the middle of nowhere. The energy is so contained. Hi, you've been, oh my gosh, how are you, Amanda? I didn't even see you until now. So she was one of our retreaters last year. She was on the Soul Rocker retreat. And they feel like best friends, which is why I feel like I just saw one of my best friends sitting in the audience. um, but it's beautiful. So if you have any questions, I mean, you can visit soulshinebali.com to see the property or the Instagram. And Michael's been doing a lot of reposting on your stories. But we're so excited about the retreats. We do them annually. Last year, we did two, which was pretty special. Um, but the first one coming up, we have a few more spots left. It's February 23rd through February 16th through 23rd, and then 23rd through March 2nd. Um, but they're super special. Oh, and like Michael said, yeah, backtrack, we do some of our biggest processing on the retreat, too, yeah. which is healthy, totally.
2: Yeah, it's like you get just as much from it as yes. everyone else, yeah.
3: being the facilitators.
2: Yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Um, I would love to hear uh, another song. Okay. You have your... Guitar. Right, cool. It's like, we can't just have it sit there and him only right. play a little snippet. Well,
1: this is a... Uh, on the we, we have a new single that's coming out in... Um, in a couple weeks, and uh, it's a song that is uh, about bullying. You mentioned bullying, I was bullied a lot as a kid. And it's a song about standing up for yourself, being your, uh, your authentic self. It's a song about violence, and in particular gun violence, which is a um, big issue for us. Sar and I, we live in Hunters Point in San Francisco, which is a neighborhood where there's a lot of gun violence. And about four years ago, we had a bullet come through my son's bedroom wall, it went through one wall, went through another wall, ended up in our living room. Um, and uh, Sarah has worked in San Francisco doing um, research. I did my
3: practicum on urban gun violence in, in the city. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And um, in 2017... The CDC, Center for Disease Control, just released numbers for 2017. And then there was 39,773 people who died of gun violence in America in 2017. Wow. So if you imagine, like, the Parkland shooting where there were 17 people killed, that is happening six times a day in, wow. in, in America. Um, <clears throat> so, and this is a song that's about that... And over, I spent uh, two weeks traveling around the country interviewing families who had been affected by gun violence. Everything from, I was at Parkland High School three times, I was at, I went to uh, the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, um, interviewed people from the Vegas concert, interviewed people who had been been involved in gang violence growing up, interviewed one guy who spent 25 years in prison for murdering somebody else who's now uh, working in the community trying to reduce gun violence. Talked to people whose family members had committed suicide, uh, people who had been randomly shot, just randomly hit by stray bullets uh, um, and been paralyzed by them. Uh, people who had been shot in drive-bys, all, all kinds of things. And um, and we made a, uh, I made a music video for it that's coming out in a couple weeks. We're also making a short film about... Um, about it, and the thing that I learned is that gun violence has really touched almost literally every aspect of our society now. It's not just in one place, you know. And because of that, it takes all of us to um, solve it. And I think, like, if, so in 2016, the number was 36,000, went up to 39,773. So almost 4,000 more deaths in 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 one in one year. And I think, like, God, if we could reduce it by 4,000 this year and reduce it by another 4,000, another 4,000, you know, get that number down, it's possible to do that. But it's going to take the efforts of every one of us. It um, doesn't matter what walk of life or political experience or if you're a gun owner or not. There's some role that all of us have to play. Um, for example, there are eight children who are killed in America every day just by guns in the home that aren't well Protected or well stored, and and um, you know, so gun owners can do that, take their do play their role in that part of it. You know, so um, this is a song that's a, a, about the fact that I believe that all of us can be a part of the the healing that we need right now. I'm just gonna tune the guitar up here. A little. This guitar is named after, is Mama Brown, it's named after my grandma on my father's side, my biological father. And she worked as a domestic cleaner until she was in her 90s. And um, one of the last times I went to go see her, she was in the hospital, I got this call, come quick, grandma's in the hospital, and you don't know how long she has to live, so I show up and She's got tubes in her nose, she's hooked up to a heart meter and she's asleep and I'm really scared. I walk in and I kiss her on the forehead and she wakes up. She didn't have her teeth in and she's like,
0: Michael, is that you? And I said, yeah, it's me. I said, Grandma, I'm really scared, I'm really nervous. Like, why are you in the hospital? And she says, because I'm pregnant.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> she was 96.
0: I said, Grandma, who got you pregnant? (laughs) Reverend Mitchell. (laughs) She said, why do you think I'm in the hospital? I'm old.
1: (laughs) So she had this amazing way of taking any situation and turning it into, like, laughter or joy or food or music or something that was able to help people get through tough times. So I named this guitar after her. It's really the only guitar I play. I've probably 30 guitars, and this is the only one that ever gets played. So, Uh, (laughs) this is the flower.
0: We can be the healing when you're feeling all alone. We can be the reason to find the strength to carry on. In a world so divided, we shall overcome. We can be the healing. We can be the flower in the gun We can be the healing We can be the flower in the gun What could I say to my son or to my daughter If they came and asked me about these days What kind of reason could I give for all the hate That's standing in the way Wish I could tell them that nobody's gonna judge them And every stranger on the block is gonna love them no bully in the world is gonna hurt him, but I can't say that today. No, no one could ever take your pride from you. Speak your truth and let your spirit fly, cause we could be the healing. When you're feeling all alone, we could be the reason to find the strength to carry on. World is so divided, we shall overcome. We can be the healing. We can be the flower in the gun. We can be the healing. We can be the flower in the gun. What could I say to any woman who was ever told by a man don't try to reach too high? What could I say to any girl who was betrayed and told to keep the pain locked inside? Wish I could tell him that nobody's gonna judge me. Every stranger on the block is gonna love me. No bully in the world is gonna hurt me, but I can't say that today. No, no one could ever take my pride from me, yeah. Speak my truth and let my spirit fly. Cause we could be the healing. When you're feeling all alone. We could be the reason. To find the strength to carry on. In a world so divided. We shall overcome. We can be the healing. We can be the flower in the gun. We can be the healing.
1: It's like dropping pebbles into the ocean
0: And seeing them spread ripples around the world So let me hear you say Whoa, whoa Whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah Whoa, whoa Yeah Let me hear you say Whoa Put your hands together today, y'all. Cause we could be the healing. When you're feeling all alone, we could be the reason. To find the strength to carry on. In a world that's so divided, we shall overcome. We can be the healing. We can be the flower and the gun. We can be the flower and the gun. We can be the healing. We can be the flower and the gun in a world that's so divided. We shall overcome. We can be the healing. We can be the flower in the gun. y'all. Thank you for
2: that. Yeah. That so
1: I it. Thanks for having us here. This has
0: been awesome.
2: Is there anything you'd like to say before you want them to know?
0: Well, we have a mantra
1: in our house. It's inside of our wedding ring. And it says, Be your best, serve the greater good. Rock out wherever you are. And that's our family motto. And to me, it means to always search for your growing edge. Be your best is not necessarily like be the fastest runner in your school or be the most, you know, highest sales at your office. It means be your best. Like find your growing edge. What is the thing that's going to get you to your next place in your life? And then serve the greater good means you take your talents, that you've either been blessed with or that you've developed in your life and try to find a way to apply them to serving your community and your family and the planet. And the planet really is calling out to us right now to say, we need everyone's help. Find a way to help. And then the final thing, rock out wherever you are means like never lose that enthusiasm for life that you had when you went to your first rock concert. Like (laughs) never lose that gusto, that energy. And, and, um, you know, people ask me all the time, they, do you ever get tired of touring? You've been touring for 30 years. And, you know, there's definitely mornings when I wake up and I'm tired, like today, my voice hurts and and my body's a little bit tired. But I never lose the enthusiasm. I never lose the thing that makes me want to rock out. And... um I've found that in, in some parts of my life, some things that I've and doing, I have lost that enthusiasm for things. And, and to be able to also recognize when you need to let those things go, you know, and like today's New Year's Eve, this is a perfect opportunity. So I just invite that to you. Like, just take a, a quiet moment at some point today and think like, what are the things in my life that are no longer serving me? And today's the day that I wanna let them go so that I can invite, invite other really amazing things Great in. Space. Great space, yeah.
3: Yeah, I mean, just to echo that, I mean, now more than ever, the world needs us to do good things. And just you guys showing up today, this afternoon, um, is making a difference no matter how big or small. So we just want to share in our gratitude. Thank you for having us. Thank you guys for supporting Duke for the Love and sharing your energy. You guys inspire us to keep going. So thank you and Happy New Year. And we look forward to our paths crossing in 2019. I don't Happy New Year. Thank you. Thank you.